0: ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fisk'em All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. We have a lot of stuff to go over today, but before we get into any of it, I want to ask a huge, tremendous, incredibly important favor from y'all. Pause the podcast right now. Just put it on pause Well, after I finish what I'm about to say. So what I need you to do is go to the iTunes Store, Apple Podcasts, the app that you've got, and leave us a rating. If you don't mind, we're at about seventy-eight ratings so far. I'm trying to see if we can get to a hundred before the uh, the end of the month. So pause the podcast, leave us a rating. I promise we will be here when you get back, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, also, in podcast news, sometime over the past week, we've hit fifty thousand downloads, which is phenomenal. It's awesome. It's kind of weird to me also that we've got you know people listening to my voice at least fifty thousand separate times. Uh, so that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing news about the podcast. Um, in terms of the next Couple weeks. not entirely sure what is going to happen, so there's a lot of stuff to cover this week because we had a What the Fisk episode last week, so we are not having a Law 140 today. There will be a Law 140 next week, but this week we're not going to have one because I'm just not going to have time. Uh, Also, if you couldn't tell, those of you that follow me on Twitter, uh, the vacation never happened. I was supposed to be in Florida. I had finally convinced my girlfriend that we were going to go even in the risk of Hurricane Irma hitting the state. And then like the very next day, it reached category five status. And I basically chickened out. We decided not to go and ended up being for the best, of course, because Florida is now recovering from a big old mess. But I'm not sure when the second attempt at me taking a vacation is going to happen. God willing, it will be at some point before it gets too cold. Uh, But just want to give you a heads up whenever that's going to be, we will end up with a what the Fisk Volume 4 to make sure that I've got something for y'all there as well. Uh, Not taking the vacation ended up being for the best. So, uh, y'all know Samson. We have this, what I call the Samson incident counter, how many days he goes without anything going wrong. Well, Saturday was day 100. It's the first time in years that we've made it that long without anything happening. Uh, But we also got a phone call from the vet that he likely has lung cancer. He's had a bad cough for a couple weeks now. Uh, We've tried antibiotics. We've tried antivirals. We had a fungus test done. Uh, So we now know it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. It's not a fungus. But there's something there in his lungs. So that is most likely cancer. So we're going to try and get him squared away in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, but it was good for me not to be on vacation because then I can actually take care of him and learn that information and kind of figure out where we're going to go from here. So that's it on the housekeeping notes. Sorry that it's kind of grim, but it's been a, it's been a hectic week between the dog and work and the podcast. Um, So that's what it is. So let's get into uh, the news from the past week. But before we do, please make sure to join the conversation online. You can follow the Fiscamall Twitter account. It is at Fiscamall. That is at F S C K E M A L L. I am at Greg underscore Doucette. That is at G R E G underscore D O U C E T T E. You can leave us a comment on the website, Fiscamall.com. You can join our Patreon community, patreon.com slash F S C K there. And if you have any questions or comments as you're listening tweet us with the hashtag fisk that is hashtag FSCK. Uh, I'm going to run through a few items in the politics portion of the podcast. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened but the the main story or sequence of stories if you will is that our beloved Papaya Potus, Bonespur Brezhnev himself, Donald J. Trump uh, has basically abandoned his base. he tweeted out a couple weeks ago, that he was going to end President Obama's DACA program, that is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, These folks whose parents brought them into the country when they were young, they were allowed to stay and get a work permit, but as part of that, they had to register with the government, provide all kinds of information about where they live, what they do, and uh, because it was an executive order, the president has the ability to undo it largely by executive order. Tweeted that he was going to do that, then said he was going to wait six months and let Congress work it out. Well, in the midst of all of this going on, there's a fight over the debt ceiling. The Democrats wanted a three-month extension of the debt ceiling so there could be another vote in December. The Republicans wanted a longer extension so they don't have to take another vote that's going to haunt them during the primaries next year. And out of the blue, president met with uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, Representative Nancy Pelosi, as the Democrat leadership. They met at the White House. And minutes later, After this meeting took place, it was announced that there was a deal that had been reached, that they're going to tie Hurricane Relief for Hurricane Harvey to the Democrats' proposed three-month extension of the debt ceiling. All of the Republicans were promptly stunned, but like spineless waifs that they are, they passed it anyway. But Trump wasn't done. So just a little bit later, he ends up striking a deal with Pelosi about DACA and having Congress enact policies to basically enshrine DACA into law. Uh, the president tweets out, quote, Does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military, really? Uh, to which most of his base said yes. Uh, but then just minutes later, he talked about the uh, the wall, The wall is going to be built later on, and it's not really going to be built. Instead, we're going to renovate a fence. And uh, it's something where you wouldn't believe it if you hadn't heard it from the president's own mouth. So here I'm going to play you a clip. The audio kind of sucks because he's being interviewed outside of Air Force One, so you hear the jet engine in the background, but you can still hear him. So here's the clip. The wall will come later. We're right now renovating large sections of wall, massive sections, making it brand new. We're doing a lot of renovation. We're building four different samples of the wall to see which one we're going to choose. the wall is going to be built. It'll be funded a little bit later. Now, in addition to it being funded a little bit later, his campaign staff actually sent out a fundraiser fundraiser request email, uh, basically asking for wall funding. And I'm, I'm laughing because the president, we've known since before he was a candidate that the guy was not trustworthy. I mean, we've all known this. We've all talked about it. But his hardcore base, the Trump supporter base, has been the most rabid, the most virulent, the most terrible people. I mean, they really are just terrible people. And I draw a distinction between Trump voters and Trump supporters. There are a lot of people who voted for Trump who don't like him, and we can talk about them another day. But the actual people that support him and think he can do no wrong are unmitigated assholes so much. They're terrible people. Uh, So to have them get basically lose their shit. I mean, watching Twitter as this was going on was fucking hilarious because these people were losing their minds. You have uh, Steve King from Iowa, the guy that said, you know, what has any non-white person done for the rest of the world in the ho- entire course of history? Uh, tweeted out about how the base was crushed and demoralized and can't trust Donald for anything. Uh, Clan Coulter, who wrote a book entitled In Donald We Trust, uh, was tweeting out her uh, dismay over all of this. And then on top of it, just uh, just in the past, I think it was Saturday, uh, news came out that he was going to reverse himself on withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, which was one of the few things that conservatives were using as a success. Uh, him and the Justice Gorsuch appointment It's just it's absolutely hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. It, you, you ever seen the movie uh, The Highlander? The Highlander movies, the TV series, you know, they have this thing called the quickening where for those of you that haven't seen the show, I'm probably dating myself because it's old, but go Wikipedia. But the gist of it is there are people in the show called Immortals. And they can only be killed by being beheaded. And when they're beheaded, there's this thing called the quickening, where the immortal that kills them, beheads them, uh, basically gains all of their power and knowledge and everything else for themselves. So basically, imagine Betty White killing off the other Golden Girls and she gets all of their powers. That's basically what is happening here. Donald Trump has beheaded the Republican Party and its leadership. You know, Paul Ryan looks like an idiot, Mitch McConnell looks like an idiot, but in particular, Trump's supporters, man, he went out on a limb, they all followed him, and then he just sawed off the branch like it was nobody's business. This is a Highlander version, a political version of Highlander, you know, except really because we're dealing with the deplorables, I guess, instead of calling it a quickening, we should probably call it a cuckening. Uh, This is the cuckening of the Republican Party. But it's just fucking, it's hilarious. It's absolutely fucking hilarious. Now, a lot of us aren't terribly heartbroken over these developments because the fact is the things that Trump is reversing himself on are policies. We didn't think he should be Pursuing in the first place. You know, if you look on the DACA issue, for example, the Constitution specifically bans. Attainder. It bans what's called corruption of blood, this practice that if a parent commits a crime, the punishment is visited upon the children. Our Constitution forbids that. So there's a strong conservative case to be made that trying to round up and deport these children who were brought here without any knowledge of it themselves uh, was bad policy. So the fact that Trump is reversing himself on that is not going to make any of us cry. you know. But watching the base completely lose their shit Uh, Is epic. So that's all I'm going to talk about on the political stuff. There's a lot more to it beyond that. It's been a busy week politically, uh, but we have eight pages of criminal justice shenanigans, and that's without the politics and without the Law 140 notes. Uh, There's just been a lot going on. So in court news, there's a pair of opinions that are worth reading. In one case, the facts are just. Not what you would expect, I guess, would be what I'm trying to say here. I can't really find the words for it because it's... I guess you should expect it because you're listening to this podcast and most of you have been around for a few months. Uh, But out of the Seventh Circuit, the case is the United States of America versus Aldo Brown. Uh, The court basically is affirming exclusion of expert testimony that a Chicago police officer wanted to offer, uh, beat the shit out of a guy, and then in his defense wanted to bring in an expert to testify that beating the shit out of people randomly is department policy. That was going to be his defense. Uh, that That evidence was excluded. He appealed. The Court of Appeals affirmed it. But in describing what happened... This is direct quotes from the opinion. While investigating a tip that illegal drugs were being sold from a Southside convenience store, Chicago police officer Aldo Brown sucker punched a store employee for no apparent reason. As the dazed employee attempted to stagger away, Brown continued to beat and kick him for about two minutes. The beating was caught on the store's surveillance camera. Further down, in the opinion, the court offers a little bit more detail, saying, quote, While Howard, Howard's the employee, while Howard stood motionless, Brown punched him in the face. As Howard reeled from the blow, Brown grabbed him by the neck and held him against a large refrigerator. Without provocation, Brown punched Howard in the ribs and pulled him down an aisle toward the back of the store, where he forced him to lie on the floor on his back. When Howard attempted to sit up, Brown hit him in the face again and forced him back to the ground on his stomach. Brown then handcuffed Howard, searched his back pockets, and found a handgun. Now, my pause here. Remember, this guy is a convenience store employee, so having a handgun is not terribly unusual. Brown confiscated the gun and walked towards the front of the store to show it to his partner, then returned to kick Howard in the ribs before placing him under arrest. Surveillance cameras captured the episode on silent video. In his arrest report, Officer Brown described the incident as an emergency takedown and explained that it was necessary because Howard reached for the firearm— In his tactical response report, the officer stated that Howard, quote, fled and, quote, pulled away after the takedown. The tactical response report has a space for the officer to record whether he used a closed-hand strike or punch or kicks during the incident in question. Brown left those boxes unchecked. The court went on to note that there was no evidence of Howard fleeing or pulling away either. The court continued, at trial, Brown sought to introduce expert testimony from a former Chicago police officer who would testify that Brown's actions were consistent with departmental standards. Holy shit. So aside from the fact that beating was as bad as it was, And it was caught on camera, first rule of fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. How wild is it that your defense is, this is how we're taught to deal with people in the Chicago Police Department? Holy shit. So that is out of the 7th Circuit with Illinois. In the Ninth Circuit, the Court of Appeals upheld a warrantless search of a drug dealer's car in United States versus Jacob Del Mundo Fagai. Uh, and it's, uh, go read it because a lot of the opinion is discussing Costco, the grocery store. Apparently there are two in Hawaii, uh, an older one is near downtown, a newer one is out in the suburbs. And there's a long discussion about Costco and buying food and the drug agents apparently thought food meant drugs. Um, but Judge Alex Kaczynski, who's on the bench, had a dissent that is a very good dissent, but I want to read you some snippets. Uh, he says, quote, if talking about shopping for food at Costco were sufficient to justify a search, many of us would be searched by the police twice a week, thrice right before Thanksgiving. Nor does it make any sense to substitute food for drugs when talking about where to meet. If, the informant, Penetaini, and Fagai were meeting up to conduct a drug deal, why specify the purpose of the meeting? Why say let's meet at Costco for a drug transfer rather than just let's meet at Costco with the purpose of the meeting understood? Here's what this case boils down to. Officers had a hunch that a drug transaction was going down. They saw nothing obviously suspicious, but got tired of waiting, watching, and wiretapping. They then jumped the gun by executing a warrantless search. Until today, this was not enough to support probable cause, but going forward it will be. This is a green light for the police to search anyone's property based on what officers subjectively believe, or claim to believe, about someone's everyday conduct. That puts all of us at risk. Accordingly, I dissent, and I'm off to Costco to buy some food." So it's an incredible descent. Bear in mind, the Ninth Circuit covers Hawaii, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Arizona, a whole bunch of the West Coast, Alaska as well. Uh, So this case is going to be the law of the land for a good chunk of the populace. So I will have both of those links from the Seventh and the Ninth Circuits to you in the show notes. Uh, Also, the Department of Homeland Security is going to re-admit 23-year-old Juan Manuel Montes Bojorquez, a DACA recipient who was illegally deported. Turns out he's been able to file suit against the government, arguing that his deportation was illegal. A judge has asked Customs and Border Protection to let him back in so that he can be deposed. So that is going to happen. I'll give you that story as well. In some of the general research slash justice news, uh, the Associated Press has a story about how governments are now suing people who file public records requests trying to ensure that records aren't released or arguing that they cost too much to produce. Uh, So I'll give you that story. RS Technica has a study out showing that in most jurisdictions, body cam footage is not a public record. Uh, It used to be in North Carolina until legislators passed House Bill 972 last year by a bipartisan supermajority. There was only one senator in the uh, Senate for the Republicans, one senator who was a Democrat, Uh, In the Senate, who voted against it? And then in the House, I think there was about 12 Republicans and seven Democrats who voted against it. But out of our 170 legislators, everybody else, except for those two dozen, uh, thought hiding body cam video was a great idea. So Ars Technica has looked at this nationwide, and the conclusions are sobering. Out of the blaze, yes, the conservative blaze, Glenn Beck's outfit, uh, Leon Wolf, who's a good guy, he's got a lot of insightful opinions, but something i never expect to see from him. Uh, he actually has a column out talking about police brutality, and his argument essentially is that for everyone to talk about how police brutality is an isolated incident, the police themselves certainly don't ever act like it. They act like it's commonplace. So I've got that link for you. It's actually a very good column. Uh, also, there's been a lot of police brutality talk on conservative media. Uh, Fox and Friends Weekend, just on Saturday, had former D.C. detective Ted Williams, and he told a, a bit of a fib. So I'm going to play the clip so you can hear it, but then we're going to break down why he's totally wrong. What we need to understand is that law enforcement officers, black and white, put their lives on the on the line every day. And in this country, we've had numerous Police officers. Matter of fact, this year alone, 93 killed. Now, me being me, that 93 killed, thought I'd check that out. Well, it turns out that he's wrong. 93 have died. Uh, but it turns out that his data is taken from the Officer Down Memorial page. You can find that on Google. And out of those 93 who died, at least 35 of them died from car accidents, not all job-related. Twenty-five of the 93 also died of natural causes, including nine who died of heart attacks, uh, three who died of what is listed as uh, 9-11-related illness. So these are folks that for years have just happened to be cops who died, but gets included on the ODMP webpage that then gets turned into talking points in the media about all of the dead officers. And what's not mentioned is that even with those 93 who have died, two-thirds of them have died for things that were not crime-related, those numbers are still down. So you have overall deaths are down by a percent, gun-related deaths are down by 13 percent, auto accident deaths are down as well. The only subcategory that climbed is this other category that includes things like heart attacks and 9-11-related illnesses. So that's from there, a little bit propaganda from the state media that Fox has become. And it's worth noting, look, police put their lives on the line every day. Yes, I get that. But in terms of dangerous professions, they don't even crack the top 10. They're barely in the top 20. You know, taxi cab drivers have more people killed per taxi driver than police do. Loggers have more people killed by several orders of magnitude. Coal miners. There's a whole bunch of other professions where if you factor out the number of people who die versus the number of people in the profession, police just aren't that high. And if you look at that trend over time, it's safer to be a cop today than it is ever has been in American history. And that's true no matter how you slice it, no matter what metric you want to use. If you want to say 93 deaths, of which only about 37-ish are actual homicides, Out of 1.1 million police officers, you can use that metric. It's infinitesimally small. If you want to look at it as the number of officers who die as a function of the number of police interactions with citizens, that number is even smaller. If you look at it as the number of police who die compared to the total number of United States uh, population, you know, using the census data, that number is lower than it's ever been. It's never been safer to be a cop. Now, the pay sucks. I'm not going to dispute that. But the notion that this is an exceptionally dangerous profession is just wrong. It's not supported by the data. It's not backed up by the evidence. People don't want to hear that because we're conditioned to think that this is a noble profession, and I'm sure there are people in there who do it for the honor and integrity of it. But in terms of evidence, it's just not that dangerous. So that's out of Fox. Uh, On the Hill, Attorney General Beauregard, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions II, has decided that he's going to end the uh, Collaborative Reform Initiative for Technical Assistance. Uh, This is basically an Obama-era program that looked into local police departments, and if they found they were abusing people's civil rights, they would go ahead and file a complaint and look into it. Sessions has decided that looking into that uh, isn't worth doing. You know, what's funny to me is that Jeff Sessions has been one of the biggest proponents of what is called broken windows policing. It's this notion that Giuliani pioneered in New York City, this idea that if you see a broken window, you have to fix it. Because if you don't, that gives the perception that crime is tolerated and it gets worse. So you have to have a zero-tolerance policy to make sure that you address uh, you know, those types of issues so that crime doesn't run amok. You notice we don't apply broken window policing to the police. If you want to use that same philosophy, what you need to be doing is aggressively investigating these departments and the slightest bit of wrongdoing that happens, you kick these people out of the profession and you enact reforms to fix it. So again, this just goes to show you that the whole talk about broken windows and about law and order, it's all bullshit. They really care more about the order than the law. It's all about politics and making sure that they can find some way to justify the shenanigans they put up with. So that's from Sessions. Also, as a slight irony, so last week as he's commemorating 9-11, he said, quote, the first civil right is to be alive, apparently uttered without the slightest bit of irony at the over 1,100 American citizens that are killed by police every single year. Uh, Out of the New York Times, there's an editorial on the science of sex offenders and recidivism, basically pointing out that everything we think we know about sex offenders is rooted in 1980s and 90s era social science that is actually garbage. Uh, Also in the New York Times, there's an article on the tension between police departments and the federal government when it comes to the immigration detainers that we've talked about in prior episodes. Uh, But the tweet has what I'm calling the dumb question of the day. It says, quote, should police obey the president or the courts? Guys, the president is the president because he runs the federal government, all right? He's the head of the executive branch. He ain't got nothing to do with state or local police. ain't got nothing to do with state or local executive branches. So let's not be too terribly stupid about this. But I'm going to give you the article anyway because it's a good discussion. Uh, Out of phys.org, University of California, Riverside, sociologist Cecilia Gurusami uh, did a study on incarceration and how, as part of post-release, you're required to have a job. And what happens is that if you can't find a job because guess what, you've got a criminal record and jobs aren't exactly plentiful, uh, you'll have your post-release supervision revoked and you'll go back to jail. And she points out that this is incredibly expensive. And she also notes that it is part of post-release Post-release employment has to meet three separate conditions to meet the requirements. This is from the study. It says, quote, It should be reliable in that it must produce consistent long-term financial benefits and therefore cannot be contract or insecure work, recognizable in that it must be legible to state actors as employment in a conventional workplace setting, and redemptive in that it must be perceived as contributing to the broader public good. Holy shit. That's insane. You know, can you imagine, like, as a lawyer? I don't even know if being a lawyer would qualify because it's not consistent. I mean, my revenue ebbs and flows depending on who comes in the door. It's the essence of contract work. Uh, I'm in a conventional workplace setting only because I choose to have an office. But a bunch of other lawyers work from home or have these little co-working spaces. And am am I contributing to the broader public good? Well, that depends on who you ask. So the idea that even I as a lawyer couldn't meet these three prongs if I ever happened to be convicted in California, holy shit, what do you expect to do with someone who doesn't have a law degree and has a criminal record on top of it? This is insane. So I will give you the link to the story that also has the study in it. Uh, In USA Today, there's an op-ed by uh, the author of a book called Chokehold, a Georgetown law professor and former prosecutor, Paul Butler, And he talks about why district attorneys treat all black men as thugs. And I'll give you a hint. It has to do with making sure that white people can preserve their social status by helping to keep minorities down. Uh, It goes on to greater detail than that, but it's tough to argue with them. I mean, especially when you look at the pervasiveness of racial profiling, which we're going to talk about later on in the show, because, of course, North Carolina is in the news again. Um, But it's definitely something worth reading. And I'm going to give you that link as well. Out of USA... That was USA Today. Out of Vice, Philip Stinson, who is a graduate student, has created the first attempt at a comprehensive database to track criminal cops. These are police officers who have been actually charged with a crime. uh, And turns out, so bear in mind, governments go out of their way not to collect this information. So Stinson has tried to piece it together based off of media reports and public records requests to put together this database. Even with an incomplete data set, What he's found is that 6,596 officers were charged over a certain number of years. I don't have the years in my outline here. Now, that's out of, as I mentioned earlier, 1.1 million police. So it seems like a very small percentage. That's 0.6%. But if you break it down in the same way that the government breaks down drug statistics, so the people who die from a drug overdose or something similar. So when it comes to police misconduct police who have been actually criminally charged, it comes out to 599 for every 100,000 police officers. When it comes to drug deaths, it's only 19.9 per 100,000 Americans. So essentially, it's 30 times more common for you to have a cop who is charged with a crime, most of which happen to be uh, violence-related, by the way. I'm going to give you the link, but you should check it out. But it's 30 times more likely that you're going to have a cop charged with a crime than you will someone who dies of a drug overdose. So here's the thing. We've declared an opioid epidemic. We have talked about we need this huge policy response to address the fact that people are dying of drug overdoses. Why haven't we declared an epidemic when it comes to police violence, to criminal cops? It's a problem. It's backed up by the evidence, and yet we do nothing about it because we decide that politically it's not cool. So that is out of Vice out of the Washington Post. Also notes that 2017 is on track to be the second lowest crime rate ever uh, since about 1990. So the lowest was 2014, I think. Don't quote me on that. Either 2014 or 2015. 2017 is going to be the second lowest, and we're on the uh, verge of having the all-time record lowest murders, uh, which turns out, is driven by just a few cities. So if you drop the murder rate in Baltimore, Chicago, St. Louis, a few others, uh, that is a dramatic impact on the overall crime rates for the entire country. So as out of Washington Post. In the state-by-state news... Uh, Out of Arizona in Maryvale, Phoenix New Times has done an expose on Motel 6. It turns out that the motel every day was sharing their guest list with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, which just faxed them whoever was coming to stay at the Motel 6 so that ICE could show up and have those folks deported. So it's an interesting story out of Arizona. In California, we've got five different stories from out there uh, in Berkeley, UC Berkeley police are on video taking a food vendor's money because he didn't have a license. So they basically just grab the guy's wallet, don't bother with the ID or anything else, go straight for the cash, fish it out. And of course, it's being recorded by a bystander because, first rule of fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even after they are being recorded. And what's interesting about this story is that a bunch of folks uh, decided to contact me on Twitter about it and say, oh, I'm a small business owner. If I have to abide by the rules, so does this guy. Well, yeah, he's got to abide by the rules, but police don't come steal your money. They're not supposed to anyway. You know, Even if you're not abiding by the rules, the police don't get to come to your workplace and take your cash. And that's basically what has happened here. This is the essence of civil asset forfeiture, where they ta- the police take the money... You may or may not go to court if there's a criminal charge, but you haven't been convicted of anything. And regardless of how that criminal charge turns out, you're not going to get that money back because typically you're going to have to hire a lawyer to do it, and the cost of hiring a lawyer to try and get your money is going to be more than the money that they've taken. So it's one of those things where there's an old joke on the Republican side that the the problem with communism is communism, but the problem with capitalism are capitalists. You know, This is a classic example where people will tolerate the types of grotesque abuses of police power as long as it's other folks who happen to be getting affected now in this particular case that unlicensed food vendor happened to be a, a hispanic immigrant so of course everyone all the white people are like oh okay that's fine because hey he's mexican so who gives a fuck uh, but that is out of berkeley out of fresno the police have successfully tased and detained travis aaron finley A guy armed with a Bowie knife and then a smaller knife, they managed to detain him anyway. So Fresno has been going out of their way to try and address a pattern of police misconduct in the past. They've got new use of force guidelines. They've put a lot of effort in training on de-escalation and takedown techniques that don't involve killing people. And this is an example where it worked. And I'm going to give you the link because I think when stuff like that works, it needs to be noted. Uh, So out of Fresno, congrats to the Fresno Police Department. Out of Long Beach, Uh, Officer Matthew Hernandez back in 2015 shot and killed unarmed college student Ferris Murad, who was 20 years old. And the weird thing about this case is that he was actually there were several first responders at the scene, including the Long Beach Fire Captain, who uh, Robert Griego is his name. When he saw Hernandez draw his gun, he actually yelled, hey, don't shoot him and watched Hernandez kill Murad anyway. Well, the district attorney's office has decided that even though Murad was unarmed, and at least one first responder told Hernandez, dude, don't kill the guy, Uh, They've decided they're not even going to attempt to prosecute this particular officer. They've decided that he did nothing wrong. Out of Los Angeles, an expose by the LA Times shows that the Los Angeles Police Department prioritizes burglaries of wealthy celebrities. They'll dust for fingerprints and do a full investigation. But if you happen to be poor, they will basically tell you to fuck off and not really investigate at all. So I will give you that link. That was a good expose from the LA Times. Out of San Francisco, public defender Jeff Adachi has filed a complaint with the California State Bar arguing that the district attorney's office has been essentially hiding evidence. They're claiming that at least one ADA withheld DNA evidence uh, as well as witness statements in several other cases. So you got five instances in all. Um, where they could have helped clear some defendants. And in several cases, they have abused their prosecutorial discretion because they've revived charges against defendants that had already been dropped because there was a lack of evidence. Uh, so that is also in the LA Times. That is out of San Francisco. In Colorado, out of Aurora, a video was recently released about the 2015 uh, police beating of Oizana Williams. Uh, basically, she had... Driven her boyfriend to the hospital because he had been shot and comes out with the police, agrees to allow them to search her vehicle. Police decide they want to tow her car and ask her to give them the keys. Now, it doesn't make sense why you would have someone give you the keys if you're going to tow the vehicle, because you're going to tow the vehicle. Well, Williams refuses to give them the keys. So rather than just let it go or place her under arrest or whatever, there's video from the hospital security camera where they pull her to the side, grab her by the neck, slam her on the back of the police car, then slam her to the ground. And there's at least three different officers physically on her back at that particular point in time, including a fourth officer who just is just uh, roaming around willy-nilly so that is in 2015 the video for that one has just been released because of course first rule of fisk as i've said before police will continue to do dumb shit even while they're being recorded Uh, out of florida and this is florida's special so out of polk county uh, sheriff grady judd Uh, decided that when Hurricane Irma was going on that they were going to refuse people entry to the shelter unless they agreed to have a background check run, which is the dumbest fucking thing you're doing in the case of a uh, natural disaster. You know, you don't waste your resources doing background checks on people. You devote it to running your shelter if you're there doing that, and you do it to rescuing people because there are people who are going to need rescuing. Uh, But he wanted to be a badass, so he decided to tweet out on Twitter, saying, quote, If you go to a shelter for hashtag Irma and you have a warrant, we'll gladly escort you to the safe and secure shelter called the Polk County Jail. Of course, he was rightly dragged on Twitter for being a dumbass. Well, on top of that, his department is now being sued by a man who was denied entry because he refused to have a background check done. I mean, if you think about it, if you've been in a a natural disaster, hurricane, earthquake, whatever else, it's not uncommon for you to not even have stuff like your ID or whatever else, and then they're using that as a precondition. Condition to allow you to get in. It's just totally ridiculous and complete violation of the Fourth Amendment. They can't search you unless they've got reasonable suspicion that you've done something wrong. You know, you've got to consent to the background check. But what our laws have said is that you can't be coerced into giving that consent. So that's going on in Polk County. But then height of irony, as Judd is busy talking about how he's so awesome, uh, turns out Polk County Deputy Russell Hilson Uh, was being arrested by Judge Staff because he beat the shit out of his girlfriend. So we gave you that story as well. Uh, In Gainesville, Florida, a bunch of police officers went viral because they posted a picture where they were, quote, hot, unquote. I mean, they're not ugly, so give them credit. Of course, this went super viral. And I mean, when it went viral, so like, my girlfriend is not terribly up on the news. She hates that I do this podcast and that I do criminal defense work and that I tweet as much as I do. Uh, because she sees things like law and order, and she's terrified that she's going to end up chopped up into bits in a box one day. But it's something where it was sufficiently high profile that even she sent me the link saying, look at this and look at the comments. So I did. Well, you'll be shocked, shocked to learn that out of these three officers who went viral, uh, one of them happens to be a Nazi. Turns out that he's got uh, Michael Gordon Hamill is his name. Uh, He's got on his Facebook page Uh, quotes that include, among them, uh, quote, stupid people annoy me, put them in an oven and deal with them the Hitler way. This is part of a paragraph-long diatribe about stupid people. That was the punchline. Uh, In another paragraph-long diatribe, he talks about how he reads Jewish jokes to help him go to sleep, saying, quote, what's the difference between Boy Scouts and Jews? Boy Scouts come back from their camps. So this is the type of people that the Gainesville Police Department decides to hire on staff. And what's interesting is that all this was available to the public. So there's one of two scenarios that has taken place. Either the Gainesville PD didn't bother to check for that sort of thing, or they knew about it and just didn't care. So that's going on in Florida. Out of Georgia just this past weekend, uh, out of Atlanta, a 21-year-old student at Georgia Tech, Scout Schultz, uh, student in engineering, president of the Progressive Student Alliance, uh, was suicidal on campus. So walking around barefoot, holding a what's called a multi-tool. So basically, those of you that are older, you might remember Swiss Army knives, or you've got a whole bunch of stuff in it. Well, a multi-tool is basically the same type of thing. Uh, some of them have blades in them. Most of them do not. But it's things like you know a wrench, a screwdriver, a bottle opener, a whole bunch of other stuff all put together. So Schultz had this police showed up because apparently there had been some concern about them walking around barefoot and whatever else. And this is all on video and Schultz is yelling at the police saying, shoot me. Well, the Georgia Tech police apparently said challenge accepted and actually did shoot Schultz and Schultz died at the hospital. I think it's insane that we have police responding to what are clearly Mental health concerns, suicide by cop, and they're not prepared with a taser or any kind of non lethal means. They just say, fuck it, let's go ahead and kill the person who's asking to to be put to death. I mean, they're threatening to take their own life, so let's just take it for them. It's just, it's so ridiculous. So that is out of Georgia. In Illinois, you might recall from a couple podcasts ago, we talked about the case of Roosevelt Miles. Uh, He's the guy that's been in prison for 24 years for a murder he didn't commit, actually got a court order uh, order a new trial. That was 16 years ago. Still hasn't gotten his new trial yet. Well, BuzzFeed picked up the story, talked about the fact he's been in jail for that long. As part of their reporting, the Conviction Integrity Unit with the District Attorney's Office out of Chicago is finally looking into the case, and hopefully Miles will be getting a new trial soon. Uh, In Indiana, out of Evansville, body cam footage has been released showing former assistant police chief Rob Hahn Uh, basically punching a guy in the nuts because he can. So they're arriving on scene at this particular location for something drug-related. They place the guy under arrest. He's handcuffed. He's not resisting. He's completely compliant. And out of the blue, Han just sucker punches the guy in the groin because he can. So I get in trouble a lot because I say police do things for sport. But this really is the epitome of doing something for sport. And of course, it's caught on body cam because, again, the first rule of Fisk. Uh, in Kansas, out of Salina. There's a viral video going around about a police officer who drew his gun and ended up kind of spazzing out a little bit, dealing with two sovereign citizens. Uh, I'm not terribly upset about the officer's conduct in this case, because if you've not dealt with sovereign citizens before, one, they're fucking obnoxious. Uh, But then if you actually look at the full video, he's trying to talk them down, getting them to produce ID. They'd been pulled over as part of a traffic stop, When he asked for ID, they refused to provide it because they call themselves travelers on the land, which is this, I'm not even going to get into sovereign citizen ideology because it's so batshit crazy, Uh, but I I deal with it periodically dealing with the criminal courts and some of the civil stuff I do. So if you want to learn about it, go Google it. Um, But essentially the guy's there for an extended period of time trying to rationalize these people who are irrational because sovereign citizens are batshit. Uh, and eventually pulls his gun and has it pointed on them for an extended period of time. But that's out of Kansas, so we'll give you a link to that video. Uh, Out of Louisiana, and I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation for this location, I think it's Tarabona or Tarabone or something like that, Uh, that particular parish, uh, there's a sheriff, Jerry Larpenter, who reached a settlement in a civil rights lawsuit involving Exposed Dat, which was a blog critical of his leadership, Uh, because this blog posted not nice things about the sheriff, ended up getting warrants to Facebook and AT&T issued. Those linked the blog to a particular family, and the sheriff's office then in turn got search warrants for that family's home and seized two computers and five cell phones, including one of computers and two of the phones that belonged to the family's children. Uh, so basically, these folks filed a civil rights lawsuit, arguing that this was all totally, totally crazy violation of their constitutional rights, that you publish something critical of the police and they will ransack your shit. Uh, they've reached a confidential settlement resolving that case. In Maryland, we have three different stories out of Baltimore, Uh, Baltimore Police uh, Department officer Christopher Spivey uh, was on video kicking and spitting on Demonte Farrar back in January, Uh, was charged with four misdemeanors for excessive use of force. The jury acquitted him in less than 30 minutes, and several of the jurors actually stayed behind to thank Spivey for his service. That's all bad enough, but the kicker is that when you're only charged with misdemeanors, and you're put on administrative leave pending investigation, it's paid leave. So this guy was on paid leave from January until the verdict this past week. He got a nine-month paid vacation funded by Baltimore taxpayers. I wish I could do that. I really do. Uh, Also out of Baltimore, the feds have linked the death of Devon Robinson to a $10,000 bit of money stolen off of him by police Sergeant Thomas Allers. So a guy is being prosecuted for Robinson's murder. And this is all going on at the state level without them talking to the feds. Well, someone from the U.S. Attorney's Office has tipped off the state folks that the impetus for this particular murder was a drug debt. Uh, Robinson owed 10 grand to this guy. Well, this particular police sergeant was in the habit of frisking uh, Robinson on a regular basis. He's one of the officers who've been indicted as part of federal corruption charges we've talked about in past Um Past episodes. And one of the people that he frisked and took 10 grand off of was Robinson, and ended up, Robinson got killed as a result of it. So, also out of Baltimore, you might recall that Freddie Gray was killed while he was handcuffed in the back of a police van. He somehow ended up with a snapped spine. Uh, So, Those state-level prosecutions ended up petering out. Everyone got found not guilty. Well, of course, Attorney General Beauregard decided that the feds are not going to bother trying to prosecute these people either. So that is your Federal Department of Justice continuing to send the message that they can kill people with impunity. Uh, In Michigan, out of Farmington Hills, a teacher physically assaulted a 6th grader, uh, 6th grade student Stone Cheney, because he chose not to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance. So the teacher actually came up and grabbed him and ripped him out of the desk, forcing him to stand. And this is so crazy to me that it happened at a school, because you know what I happened to learn in school? It's the case of West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett that was decided back in 1943, 70-something years ago. And the West Virginia Board of Education required that the flag salute was part of their program of activities in all public schools. All teachers and pupils were required to honor the flag. And if you didn't, it was treated as insubordination. It was punishable by expulsion and charges of delinquency. And the Supreme Court of the United States back in 1943 said that you couldn't do that. Because guess what? Now that the pledge is politicized now and everyone talks about this is all political and they all think about Colin Kaepernick or whatever else. But back when conservatives actually cared about religious liberty, back when Republicans thought that was important, it was common for Christians not to pledge allegiance to the flag because the first commandment says, I am the Lord thy God and thou shalt have no other gods above me. And pledging to the flag was seen as pledging to a false idol. But now you've got a black kid in school getting ripped out of his desk by a public servant because he decides not to stand when that's his constitutional right. He can do that. Holy shit. So that is out of Michigan. We are, these are the people that are tasked with training the future generations of political leaders, and this is ridiculous. Uh, in Minnesota, out of Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis Police Department uh Police officer David Campbell has been charged with raping a 16-year-old girl. Uh, The victim said in an interview that Campbell had fondled her multiple times, often persisting even when she told him to stop, uh, including during ride-alongs where Campbell was on duty. Uh, The victim told authorities that on one such occasion, Officer Campbell warned her not to report him, threatening to shoot her in the head if he got in trouble. Another time, Campbell allegedly instructed her to take photos of herself and lingerie he had bought her from Victoria's Secret using his cell phone and save the images in a secure phone app. Uh, Plot twist, this 16-year-old girl who was the victim was the girlfriend of Officer Campbell's 17-year-old son. So that is out of Minneapolis. Out of St. Paul, Minnesota, St. Catherine University security guard Brent Patrick Allers was shot. Uh, just a few days ago, the campus was placed on lockdown. Allers said that a black man in a navy blue sweatshirt and black jeans shot him. Uh, found out about a day and a half later that Allers actually shot himself out of Missouri. A lot of stuff going on in Missouri the past week uh, out of Ferguson. All charges have been dropped against 32-year-old Navy veteran Fred Watson five years after they all happened. Uh, this is one of those cases where Watson was not named, but was mentioned in the Department of Justice report talking about how fucked up the Ferguson Police Department was. Uh, on a particular day, Watson was just sitting in his car after a basketball game, cooling down and relaxing a bit, when officers approached him out of the blue, held him at gunpoint, uh, got him out of the car, arrested him, had his car towed. Watson was thrown in jail, and he was charged with nine bogus charges about resisting arrest, loitering, and a few other things. Uh, Because of those charges, he lost his security clearance, lost his job, uh, went through savings. He'd been saving up, actually go to law school, ironically enough, had to go through his savings to survive. And now, five years later, all of the charges have been dismissed. So that is out of Ferguson. In St. Louis, the big story of the week, uh, killer cop Jason Stockley has gone free in the death of Anthony Lamar Smith. Now, there's a lot wrong with this particular story. I'm not surprised that Stockley was found not guilty, but he shouldn't have been. So as part of what is—so Smith essentially is a suspected drug dealer. Let's make that part clear. He's not an angel, but he doesn't have to be. Even non-angels have constitutional rights. Um, So Stockley pulled up behind Smith at a restaurant parking lot. Smith tried to drive away. Stockley got out his own personal AK-47, which I didn't know people still had those. Most folks get an AR-15. But no, Stockley has an AK-47. Fired at Smith's vehicle as Smith is driving away. So you've already got two problems. One, having a personal AK-47 on the job is a violation of St. Louis police policy. And then you don't shoot at a fleeing car. So... Stockley and his partner chase Smith's car. As part of that, you actually have him being heard on the police radio. Quote, we're killing this motherfucker, don't you know? Planning ahead, the murder that's going to take place. Uh, They ended up, Smith's car crashes. Stockley gets out of the car and goes to Smith's vehicle with his gun drawn, ends up putting five in Smith's uh, chest. So Smith dies. As this is going on, another police officer turns off the dash cam that's running so that you can't see what's happening. Well, it turns out that there's a bystander who happened to have a cell phone camera going on who's recording the scene from a distance. You see Stockley go back to his vehicle, rummage through a bag, go back to Smith's car, get into the car, do something. And then minutes later, he goes, oh, hi, I found this gun that just happened to magically appear that I didn't notice at any point after I've shot the guy and went through the vehicle earlier. And then, when the gun was tested, the only DNA on it was Stockley's. There was no DNA, no fingerprints or whatever from Mr. Smith. So, obviously, this guy plotted to kill him ahead of time, then actually killed him, then planted the gun. So he was charged with murder, and also charged with armed criminal mischief. Uh, it was ended up being a bench trial. Stockley waived his right to a jury, and the judge, Timothy Wilson, issued a 30-page order, uh, basically finding him not guilty. And the order is chock full of bullshit. I mean, Timothy Wilson is embarrassment to the bench of St. Louis. I hope he knows that, and I'm actually going to give you a link to a story by Slate that actually has a rundown of how bad the opinion is. The opinion is terrible, but I want to leave it to the folks at Slate who've already done the legwork, putting this together as part of a line-by-line, pointing out the excuses. Uh, Read through it when you can. Of course, there are protests now in St. Louis going on. As part of that, uh, police. In, in one particular instance, basically run over an older lady. She They've got a riot line where they're walking down the street, and I guess she trips or falls or whatever else, uh, and they just stomp over her. It doesn't matter. They just keep on going, and then they end up using pepper spray. When someone tries to go up to help the old lady, they pepper spray her, uh, the person who's going to try to help. And then some of the protesters go into a synagogue that opens their doors to sanctuary so folks can get away from the pepper spray and tear gas and whatever else. So the police threaten to use tear gas on the sanctuary. And as part of their efforts, they get the hashtag trending hashtag gas the synagogue. Uh, guys, Jesus Christ. Like, never mind. I'm, I'm not even going to go into why that's so totally mind blowingly fucking stupid. Hopefully, y'all figure it out. Uh, that's out of Missouri. Out of New Hampshire in Claremont, uh, a bunch of teens tried to lynch an eight-year-old biracial boy. As part of the investigation, the police have said they're not going to say anything. And Police Chief Mark Chase says, "quote These people, referring to the teens who tried to lynch the kid, these people need to be protected. Mistakes they make as a young child should not have to follow them for the rest of their life." Now, look, I'm a defense attorney. Generally, I agree with that. We are not the sum of our own worst moments. Uh, But when you're trying to lynch an eight-year-old, you're a fucking sociopath. That definitely should follow you for the rest of your life. Jesus Christ. Uh, So that's out of New Hampshire. In New Jersey, we got four cases out of New Jersey this week. In Lakewood, uh, 26 people were arrested all at the same time for welfare fraud. They were all defrauding Medicaid. Well, when white people commit crime, we try and do something to make it go away. So Lakewood has started a welfare fraud amnesty program that's going to run for a couple months, where if you too have been defrauding Medicaid, you can come forward and you will not be charged criminally out of Newark, uh, Newark International Airport, Customs and Border Protection Agents, Tito, Katata, Parmenio Perez. Uh, sorry, I got, that's not one, those are two people. So Tito Katata, Parmenio Perez, and Michael Papagni uh, have all been charged federally with forcibly assaulting, impeding, intimidating, and interfering to witnesses. These guys basically had a rape room with a rape table. And what would happen is they would have people go in the room, Someone, One of the three would lock the door, they would then force one of the other agents onto the table, uh, and two of the agents would hold someone down while a third agent grinded on top of them essentially. Uh, so that is how they do things in New Jersey, those three agents are being charged federally. Out of New Brunswick. Former Edison Police Department officer Michael Datro has been sentenced to 20 years in prison for a uh, May 2013 incident where he was basically upset that he was being transferred and needed to get a psych eval. Uh, So he went to the home of his captain and set it on fire. So that is in New Brunswick in Patterson, New Jersey, Eric Kelly and Ralph Lee, Uh, have been in prison for 21 years as part of the 1993 murder of Tito Marino. Turns out DNA evidence showed someone else committed the crime so this week their convictions were thrown out. It's now up to the DAs to decide if they're going to re-prosecute. And it's worth remembering from a prior podcast that when you have these wrongful convictions it's not just the people who are wrongfully convicted who are screwed. The victims are screwed as well. So now the family of Tito Marino, they don't know who killed him back in 1993 because the DA is focused on the wrong people, the police focused on the wrong people. And these folks have spent 21 years of their lives in prison while the killer is still walking around scot-free. So those are the stories out of New Jersey. In New York, you got three cases out of New York City. Uh, The New York Police Department released their body cam footage in the killing of Miguel Richards. Uh, So body cams apparently are a new thing for New York City, which I didn't know. Uh, And this is supposedly the first incident where they have ever actually released body cam footage to the public. And again, this is one of those things where I'm a strong proponent of body cams as long as the footage is made available, because in this particular case, uh, it doesn't look like the police really did anything wrong. I mean, Richards is standing there for an extended period of time. The video is about 15, 16 minutes long. He's got a knife in one hand. It's a toy gun, but what looks like a gun in the other. And the police are on camera. Saying, is that a real gun? If it's not, I don't want to shoot you. If it is, I will. You need to put the gun on the ground. And Richard just stands there. I mean, doesn't do much of anything, just has these weapons and then eventually advances towards police when they end up shooting him and killing him. But this is part of what accountability is supposed to look like. It's sad that he's dead. He probably shouldn't be, but I can't be that upset with the police about it because they actually tried to work at length to get this guy to comply and he didn't. You know, So that's out of New York City. Also out of New York City, uh, ProPublica, in conjunction with the New York Times, did a study showing that thousands of criminal cases uh, rely on a DNA testing algorithm and protocol and source code and such uh, that is actually faulty. So there are thousands of cases in New York City where you could be dealing with bad DNA testing. Uh, Also in New York City, there's a long-form piece in The New Yorker about Muslim cop Bobby Hadid. So he joined the NYPD after 9-11, and it's a very long story, but it's a fascinating read. Uh, Basically, he joined after 9-11, had a distinguished record, was promoted several times, um, was very high profile, did great work, and then he questioned the department and some of what they did, and as part of that, they destroyed this guy's life. He ended up ultimately being put on trial for perjury. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. Basically, just read the whole story, but it is, they destroy this guy's life because he had the audacity to question what they were doing. Uh, So that's out of New York. Out of North Carolina, we got a lot going on here. uh, In Durham, uh, Durham Police Department officer crashed his patrol car into a tractor trailer while responding to a call. The car then itself caught on fire. The officer had to, uh, luckily, was pulled out, escaped with only minor injuries, but I don't know what's going on there. It's still under investigation. Uh, also, there's been kind of a, a spat of sorts between the city police chief and the county sheriff over this Klan rally. If you don't remember it, go back to our episode that was a hashtag defend Durham was the episode title. Uh, But basically the sheriff disclosed to several people that the Klan was going to have a rally going on, closed a couple county buildings early. That information, of course, spread on social media. Nothing ever happened. And then the sheriff tried to act like he uh, was only sharing the information for a few people. Didn't mean it didn't mean for it to get uh, out into the open. Well, the Durham police chief was being interviewed by, I think it was the city council, don't quote me on that, Uh, but essentially she said that the information that the sheriff's office relied on was not credible and that she wouldn't have warned people about it at all. Uh, Also, speaking of the sheriff, so I've mentioned before local civil rights lawyer Scott Holmes, who's a local legend. He does a lot of work on a lot of issues relating to uh, police brutality and, um, you know, racial profiling, and all that stuff. Well, yesterday was Constitution Day. And as part of that, he was on a panel at my alma mater, the North Carolina Central University School of Law and he disclosed new information from the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. Those are the folks that run the opendatapolicing.com website that I've talked about before that tends to show that the Durham Sheriff's Office is back to racially profiling drivers. Uh, He notes that out of the, just in the past few months, the uh, 65 percent of searches of people who have been pulled over, or of people of color, despite the fact that those are less than a third of the motorists, and they're no more likely to have contraband found than white motorists who happen to get pulled over. So that's a pretty glaring disparity out of Durham. And then we've got a weird case in Graham, North Carolina. So there was a Confederate Memorial Day rally not too terribly long ago in Alamance County. We've talked before about Alamance County. That's where the county commissioner... Uh, talked about how the slaves helped raise his family, but you can call them slaves, he calls them workers, etc, etc. Uh, well, as part of this rally, uh, United States Marine Joseph W. Manning uh, climbed onto the roof of a building near the old courthouse to unveil a banner that said, he who controls the past controls the future. Those of you who've read 1984 might recognize that quote, as well as the letters Y-W-N-R-U, which stands for You Will Not Replace Us, the stuff that the Nazis were chanting in Charlottesville. Well, he was charged with misdemeanor trespassing because he was not authorized to be on the roof of that particular building to hang his banner. And the weird part is the judge rejected the attempt uh, that he made to plead guilty. So Manning wanted to plead guilty to the charge. And the judge's argument for it was that there was no factual basis to believe that a crime had occurred. And that's just, that's weird. I mean, it's something where... There's not enough detail to know what the basis for that is. I don't know if the district attorney just didn't show up to offer any information at all. But it seems strange that a judge would reject a guilty plea by saying, hey, you didn't actually commit a crime when you trespassed. That's very weird. So that's the week's news out of North Carolina. Over in Ohio, in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Inquirer has done an excellent long-form piece uh, that they've entitled The Seven Days of Heroin. It's worth reading. It's lengthy, but essentially they are tracking the opioid epidemic on a day-by-day basis, focusing on particular people as well as the number of overdoses and the number of deaths that the uh, first responders are having to address on any particular day. You should check it out. Uh, Out of Clark County, Deputy Jake Shaw shot a photographer. Uh, Andy Grimm with the New Carlisle Times was setting up his camera to record a traffic stop, take some photos. Uh, Shaw saw him and shot him basically fired two shots hit him with one of them saying that he thought the camera was a gun Uh, Grimm was across the street. The area was well lit Grim waved at the officer I don't know what the fuck Shaw was thinking, but not only did that happen But the uh, body cam video is still there as well out of Cleveland Cleveland Police Department Officer Kenneth Bolton Jr. has pled guilty to gross sexual imposition and misdemeanor violation of civil rights. Uh, Two women in their early 20s were pulled over as part of a legitimate traffic stop. Bolton heard about it on his radio and then pulled them over himself about 30 minutes later and basically had them get out of the car, get into his patrol car, and then he took a sex toy and uh, proceeded to grope them with the sex toy for an extended period of time. So he's pled guilty to those two misdemeanors so that he can avoid felony kidnapping charges. The only upside is that he will have to register as a sex offender, which means he probably will not be a police officer anymore. Uh, In Franklin Township, firefighter Tyler Royston decided to share his thoughts on Facebook and why he does his job. He was pitched the question of whether or not he would save a dog over saving a black man. He said, yes, absolutely. Uh, because there's a quote here, like, Mike, do we have a beep? Is there like a, a you know, when they use profanity, is there a beep thing we can use? You've got one. All right. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pause where the beep needs to go in and you do the beep. Uh, but essentially, so Roizen is talking on Facebook, And he says that he would save a dog before he would save a black man because, quote, one dog is more important than a million. (laughs) So, yeah, he's got the N-bomb on Facebook with the hard ER on the end there. It's not an A on the end. Those of you who've seen the boondocks episode. Uh, But those are your firefighters. So, look, when people talk about systemic racism, this is part of what they're referring to. You have people who are in positions of power. You have not just first responders who are police who can charge you with a crime, but you also have first responders, firefighters who can decide whether or not they're going to save your life or your house or whatever else, uh, who harbor these really disturbing sentiments towards people who aren't white. Uh, so that's out of Ohio In Oregon. Uh, The Multnomah County District Attorney Rod Underhill, we talked about him last week. Let me pause also. Thank you for the people who corrected me. Uh, I said the publication was Willamette Week and a lot of people just completely, uh, that's very offensive to folks apparently. Uh, I think it's Willamette. I think that's what I've been instructed that it is now. So it is not Willamette, it's Willamette. Um, But anyhow, so the same DA that we talked about when I mispronounced Willamette. Uh, he's phasing out grand juries for most felony cases. Instead, what he's going to do is have preliminary hearings where a judge will decide if a case is going to proceed and indigent clients will be provided with an attorney. This seems like an improvement to me, but I don't actually know. I mean, I'm going to defer to the Oregon attorneys there. Again, it seems to me like it's a good idea, uh, but I don't know for sure because I'm not really accustomed to district attorneys doing things that are more... Uh, justice-oriented compared to what we've already got. Uh, Also... The Mail Tribune has a lengthy editorial talking about the racist legacy of Oregon's justice system because Oregon is one of only two states. Uh, Louisiana is the other one. They are the only two states where to convict someone of a crime, you do not need a unanimous verdict. Oregon allows a criminal conviction with only 10 out of 12 jurors agreeing as opposed to all 12. And the reason that got put into place was back when the Klan was ascendant, and, you know, and bear in mind, Oregon joined the Union long after the Civil War, but they still have a very significant Klan presence uh, back throughout the 50s and 60s. They put this procedure in place even before then. I think it was around the 1920s when this started, because black people were starting to serve on juries, and they wanted to ensure that they could still convict people of crimes even if the black jurors voted no. Uh, so I'll give you that link that is in the Mail Tribune out of Oregon. In Pennsylvania, In Cumberland County, we remember we talked about District Attorney David Freed, who had the uh, Nazi Evan McLaren working for him as a clerk. McLaren runs Richard Spencer's National Policy Institute. Freed has promised he will do a better job screening for Nazis. I can't believe that's a thing that has to be said. Uh, Then 10th District State Representative Aaron Bernstein decided to go on Twitter and talk about how tough he is, uh, tweeted out a link to the story in St. Louis about the protests and said himself, quote, if anyone ever tries to stop my car on a highway with negative intentions, I will not stop under any conditions. Uh, Good luck with that. You know, this is what astonishes me about people. They will voluntarily reroute themselves for accidents, for construction, for fucking marathons, but God forbid you have people in the streets because they're concerned about being shot dead by people they're paying tax money to, and your legislators are like, "Woohoo, fuck it, we're gonna run them over. You know, this is absolutely insane, especially after Charlottesville in particular, but Jesus Christ. So those are your elected officials in Pennsylvania. Uh, in Tennessee, out of Nashville, 26-year-old Katie Quackenbush Uh, shot 56-year-old homeless man Gerald Melton because she could. So the story is that Melton was sleeping on the sidewalk when Quackenbush parked next to the curb near him. Uh, Her SUV's exhaust was blowing on him and loud music was playing. So Melton asked her to move, and she basically told him to go fuck himself. So they ended up having a discussion back and forth. She then got out of the car with a gun and shot him. So that's bad enough, all right? Let's, let's stop there. If I just pause that particular story at that point, that's bad enough. But then her dad decided that he was going to release a statement to the press, and it's so fucking ridiculous. Like, I'm going to read it to you verbatim, because there's just so much dumb shit in here where it's like, you never let your dad do a press release to try and help you out. The release says, quote, The two women were actually acting in self-defense. The man was always on his feet and not asleep, as someone apparently has alleged, and had accosted a group of very young women and nearly became physical with one. He then approached the white Porsche, in parentheses, not Lexus, close parentheses, with two female occupants and started verbally accosting them, threatening them because their music was too loud for him to sleep. The driver fired around as a warning to scare him away as he came at her, He kept coming, and she fired a second round, again intended to scare him away. They quickly got back into the white vehicle and left, not knowing that the man was hit by the warning shots. Both girls contacted the police and DA shortly after the incident and have always agreed to cooperate fully with the investigation. There's so much fucked up here. Okay, what's this whole Porsche versus Lexus thing? Jesus Christ. Uh, Firing two warning shots. You don't fire warning shots at people. That itself is against the law now then leaving you're leaving the scene of a crime and then who contacts both the police and the district attorney no one normal does that that's ridiculous so that's out of nashville tennessee uh, out of texas in bayar county or bear county i've just been advised by twitter it is not bexar county uh, but in Bayar County, there's a interesting story where judicial candidate Monique Diaz uh, has a prior charge on her record for resisting arrest. She wanted that expunged. Well, apparently in Texas, that's not automatic. So, for certain types of things in North Carolina, if a case has been dismissed, you're entitled by law to an expungement and no one can stop it. That is your God given right because of the fact the case was dismissed. Uh, well, in Texas, you actually have to get permission of the court and people can oppose you. Uh, her request is being opposed by District Attorney Nico LaHood, who himself got an expungement for being a drug dealer. So you have the drug dealing DA opposing an expungement request for a judicial candidate with a resisting arrest charge. Uh, those, are <laughs> Jesus Christ. So those are your people in Bear County, uh, Texas. In Utah, out of Salt Lake City, you might recall from a couple podcasts ago, we talked about the police officers who arrested uh, nurse Alex Wubbles when she blocked them from drawing blood from an unconscious victim police officer who had been hit by somebody else. Um, this, uh, this particular officer who did the arrest was fired from his side job with the EMS company. He was working part-time, driving ambulances, and basically threatened to leave uh, more poor people with worse wounds at this particular hospital as a retribution for her blocking him from taking blood, and an internal review has quote sustained findings unquote against the officers involved. We don't know what those findings are, but the internal review has confirmed that they're legit. So that's out of Utah. Uh, in Vermont, the Vermont State Police have put in place a new uh, new policy giving them broader discretion on what information they're going to release to the public. Uh, quote, the policy leaves it up to individual state troopers to determine what is news and what isn't. Crimes, including sexual assaults, armed robberies, arsons, burglaries, embezzlements, drugs, and more, are not required to be disclosed. So that is all from the executive director of the Vermont Press Association, who is not pleased with these new changes. Out of Virginia, Richmond police have started banning weapons near Confederate monuments. Uh, in one particular case, a priest showed up with a uh, poster on a pole. The police stopped him, took his poster off of the pole, so they could confiscate the pole. So they've banned poles, baseball bats, sticks, shields, and helmets, but they have expressly not banned guns. And in the, uh, one of the videos where they're taking the pro- um, Jesus, where they're taking the priest's pole. There's actually a guy in the background with an AR-15 slung over his shoulder. That's totally okay. So that's in Virginia. Um, we also every now and like I said, we mention incidents in other countries to point out that as fucked as our justice system is here, uh, it's also got problems abroad. Out of New Zealand, uh, police data shows that the uh, the folks there repeatedly tase people that they're not supposed to. They're only supposed to tase folks if they're being assaultive. Uh, It turns out that at least 7% of the time that doesn't happen. Uh, They just tase people who shouldn't be. And then in the United Kingdom, in West Midlands, uh, police showed up at a particular guy's doorstep and they're asking him why he didn't open the door for the police. And this is all on video, by the way. And the guy says, quote, because I was fucking half asleep. I didn't know who you was and you were climbing up the windows like thieves. Police? That's even worse. I've been seeing all kinds of videos I have. And one officer goes in response, You're going to go Black Lives Matter on us, are you? And then when the guy says yes, the officer responds, You would be the first one I would shoot if I had a gun, definitely. So that is in the United Kingdom. So, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Fiskamall. Like I said, we're not going to have a Law 140 this week because we've already been going for about an hour and 10 minutes. And to be honest with you, I'm tired. My voice is tired. Uh, So I need a break. We will resume Law 140s next week when hopefully there's not quite as much criminal justice fuckery for me to talk about. Uh, Again, if you haven't yet, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're trying to get to 100 before the end of the month. And thank you so much for helping us reach that 50,000 downloads, you sharing our stuff on Twitter, Facebook, social media. That's what makes that happen. I appreciate all of you immensely. And on behalf of myself and Mike the Sound Guy, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a blessed week ahead. Yeah.